Come on. I want to see everybody front to back getting up in the air on this one, okay? Yeah. All the way back. official start of the kings of punk podcast official 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 start uh, i'm one of your hosts and tyler tyler hammer and then we got jake razor here reporting in on uh this saturday afternoon it is afternoon now uh it's from one o'clock as a matter of fact one o'clock. okay uh, things are good we got a special guest here today we got our friend cj coronado What's up? What's up? Uh, we're talking. We're talking about a bunch of different stuff. Uh, but how's everyone doing? Doing really I'm good. I'm tired. I slept like shit last night. I woke up like twice in the night, and then I woke up this morning. Went and had a nice little outdoor workout where I was humbled with regards to my conditioning. I need to start running more because that didn't go as well as I hoped it would. But otherwise, I'm doing doing pretty well. Um, so CJ, I don't actually, I don't know anything about you and presumably at least some of our listeners won't either. So, uh, if you don't mind, could you maybe introduce yourself, what you, what you're up to, what you might be speaking on today, band wise, label wise, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. Um, so CJ Coronado, I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, live in Raleigh, North Carolina, as far as different bands and labels, I do Shirley Road Records. Um, Lee Chate is one of my bands. Locust Rain is another band. Um, I do solo stuff under the name Blood Note. And I, I think that's it on, I think that's about everything on the music front. And what, what, what kind of, what style are those projects? For those who may be interested. Uh, okay, so Locust Rain, that's the newer band. Um, it it kind of just started as like straight up agoraphobic nosebleed worship. It's uh, it's me and my friend Joseph from Sleep Torture. It's uh, another North Carolina like converge core band. Um, and then uh, Leachate, that's actually how I met Tyler was because we played together at the bunker. Oh, um, sure. I don't know. Maybe Tyler can describe what our genre is better because I really don't know. It's like sometimes we have like some like slammy riffs. Sometimes it's just straight grindcore, power violence. We love putting bass drops on our albums because they're goofy and fun. Yeah, um, so like I don't know. We're some sort of like false grind. Like we're we're like plutocracy core. Let's let's call it that. Okay, I think I can imagine imagine what that's like. Yeah, I would say it's. I think definitely you get those kind of flavorings in, in the sense that like, maybe you guys don't sound like plutocracy, but you have a, uh, uh, a wide imagination and aren't afraid to incorporate interesting elements that like uh, other grindcore and kind of similar stream bands wouldn't. Um, if plutocracy was around, would they add bass drops? Maybe. Probably. I, they Probably. Seem, they seem like they would want you to be able to like show off the subs in your car with their album. <laughs> No, like no less might do that actually no less yeah. probably did do that <laughs> um but uh yeah i think leachate's awesome 
um the album you guys did uh i forgot what it's called but i listened to that a bunch that one's really good definitely like more more fun but also like really heavy stuff and what's good what's good with blood note uh none of it none of it's good <laughs> so like so like with blood note it's just hey whatever i feel like making but i don't want to like try to turn into a band thing everything just goes under that umbrella so Word. um when i first started releasing things under that name um I like just found out about like harsh noise and power electronics. So I was doing some things like that. That was um, my guess. That was my guess was with the name. Yeah. Maybe I was thinking either that or uh, possibly Neo folk, but uh, I, you're wearing like a tank top and I don't see any runes. So I was thinking <laughs> probably more likely noise than Neo folk. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's a pretty safe bet and you are right. Um, so I do that or I have a friend who's a, a really good trumpet player, so we'll just like do some like guitar and trumpet things, but it's not like beautiful sounding. It's just, oh, these are just two friends improv kind of style. You got to get them on the French horn and then you could do neo folk. Um, you your hair is partially bleached. You could dye it black and you'd be in business. But uh, that's cool. That's awesome. I admire people who do solo projects. That's like a lot of work to do on your own. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, there's a couple, a couple things that I wanted to we wanted to talk about. One of the bigger things that we wanted to talk about that we feel like a lot of people are like inquiring about was this whole NFT business. Now, if I recall correctly, you did one with Leche, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did that. Tight. I had to. I tried to explain the blockchain to my parents last night. And it went, I want to say it went better than expected, but in all probability, I, I probably don't understand the blockchain either. So uh, hope maybe today can can clear some of that up uh, since you made a fucking NFT as we established. So do you, let's, let me start with this. Was there a particular motivation for you to, actually, no, we should do that. What was involved in making this? And can you explain what, what a, non-fungible token for those who don't know the acronym i, I know that much non-fungible token what does that mean and uh i guess how does it work so um i honestly don't really know that much about the whole blockchain <laughs> technology why it exists how it works I only found out about i guess like the crypto world and like this new like layer of internet um around november because PayPal was like, hey, do you want to try investing with crypto uh, with no um, fees involved? I was like, yeah, let me check this out. Um, so PayPal, PayPal, PayPal yeah, was just, inviting you to trade with crypto. That is fucking interesting that this technology that's supposedly like a revolutionary thing that's going to change the economy <laughs> is getting free plugs from PayPal. Uh, Peter, Peter Thiel's company, I'll note, uh, if anybody wants to Google some of the things Peter Thiel believes in. I think it's interesting. Crypto might might make a lot more sense, but but go on. Yeah, so I've I've probably heard about it as long as most people. I think I found out about it like 2013 ish when I was in college, and Bitcoin was the one that everyone knew. Um, so yeah, PayPal made it super easy to try out investing in crypto for the first time. I did Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a couple other ones, and then 
um, after seeing some good games really quick, I was like, okay, I need to pay attention to this. Um, and then I found out about some other exchanges and, um, got added to a crypto community Facebook group, which everyone just tries to help everybody succeed and make money. Um, kind of what I've noticed is like the unofficial motto is, okay, we're going to get these gains. So that way in 2022, we're all driving Lambos and that's the life I'm trying to live, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. and on some level, everyone's trying to live that life, but not everyone is about that life. That that's a fact. Um, so with crypto, um, am I correct in my understanding that the value of it is predicated solely on people wanting to buy it, right? Like it's are worth, we talking crypto or are we talking um, NFTs? Let's let's start just briefly like address this crypto thing because I want to clarify. For- I would say with crypto, it's not because people want to buy it. I think there's an inherent um, like use to the blockchain. If people don't understand what the blockchain is, I guess I don't really know too much about it, but essentially it's like a bunch of computers that are communicating with each other uh, to create a digital ledger that is encrypted and it cannot be like unencrypted. And that's a powerful tool. Uh, And because of that, you can like send like a Bitcoin to anywhere, like someone like a Bitcoin to anywhere at any time, essentially without having like, it's supposed to like get rid of like the idea of currency being related to, a governing body like the United States. Um, and that's, I guess the import, that's why it's like quote unquote important to some of the people that invest in it. Um, well, and that enables you to be anonymous, which if you're depending on what you're buying, I guess could be very valuable for some people. Um, yeah. So I guess in, in so much as there is an inherent value to it, it would rest there. But of course the real value is decided by people's willingness to pay for it. So I guess what I'm getting at is um, in in that group you were in, was it kind of like getting advice on how to gamble? Because to me, that's sort of what this feels like. Or sound um, like. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a fair takeaway, um, kind of in the same way that investing in the stock market is a, a, take, is a valid um, thing to compare to gambling. Um, as long as they're a- out there for anybody, I... I I don't have any investing advice. I'm not a professional. Yeah, me this neither. It's all just my personal experience. Yeah. Blah, 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 I will blah, say blah. I actually am a professional. Um, <laughs> don't, don't say that. I think we can get in trouble for that. No. Um, you need like a license to inv- advise people on how to in- invest. Yeah, we're not we, talking actually investing. We're just yeah. talking about the collecting. Um, yeah, we're talking about yeah. the, the concept of it. It's also America. not, I guess, suppose it's not just gambling because if the value is predicated on people being willing to pay for it, then you're also trying to gauge public opinion, basically, like which one of these are people interested in. I guess if I were to be unflattering, that's more like a Ponzi scheme than gambling. But uh, I, I don't, you know, that's not unique to crypto, I don't think, by any means. The stock market is definitely just the same kind of just like it seems like a more gamified version of the stock market basically it's like the stock market without the uh pretense of the stock market being connected to production uh which is at this point just a pretense because what the fuck are does america produce you know uh yeah not much other than intellectual property and weapons so you got 
you got interested in, in cryptocurrency. You started trading. You were seeing good gains, which is awesome. And it's uh, it is remarkable that how many people are making money off of this, uh, and it just by virtue of taking the time to follow it and understand it. Now that was when that was a few years ago. You said that was early. No, just a few months ago. Oh, okay, okay. So you're relatively new to this. That's cool. So oh, yeah, super new. Do you remember when the NFT thing, because obviously NFTs were all over the news a few weeks ago because the Nyan cat meme was selling for millions of dollars and people were like, what the fuck is going on? Do you, were you sort of clued into the NFT thing maybe earlier than most people? Were you, uh, do you like remember when fucking NFTs came out? Um, I want to say I probably found out about it when a lot of music sites were talking about how Kings of Leon was about to do a okay. uh, NFT album. And then I was like, Oh, it'd be kind of funny if uh, I put something out before them because they make yeah, a big yeah. deal. And it's like, well, look, people have done it before you. So we come down a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Putting Kings of Leon in their place, you know, yeah, sure. It's like what's all what's all this king business? Princes, maybe. You yeah, know, yeah. You're you're come lord, down from that high horse. You're lords of Leon at best. Uh, <laughs> you you are not monarchs, but uh, okay. So you got hit to it because of the the kings of Leon thing. So I guess for listeners and perhaps also for us, because we may not understand ourselves, what is an NFT? I honestly just look at it as a digital form of collecting things. You know, um, and that's kind of how I feel about this is just my how I personally enjoy looking at the crypto world is like if the stock market was as fun as like collecting Yu-Gi-Oh cards, you have cryptocurrency kind of deal. And that is, fast, uh, that is fascinating. But yeah, go on. Yeah, it's just so much fun. And um, as far as like, you know, how different ones are valued, there exist cryptocurrencies that were literally started as a joke like Dogecoin, but yes. then there's other currencies that have specific um, intentions behind them. Kind of like when a company goes public and you buy this and you buy their stock because you think that they're going to do good things or make good investments or come up with some cool technology later down the line. It's kind of like that. Um, well, there's that element to it as well. Um, but yeah, as far as like the actual NFT thing goes, that is definitely more of the collecting thing as far as uh whoa there's only so many charizard cards that exist in the world I, you know if i buy a charizard card and that value will go up from like i don't know i don't follow i don't follow the pokemon uh the pokemon price market or anything i just know that like if i bought a charizard when i was six and i had it now it'd be worth like freaking twenty thousand dollars or some stupid bullshit like that um right so yeah nft is i just see it as like digital collectibles um, that have a like kind of like a certificate of proof that it's as rare as it's claiming to be. Um, so that's like one way that the blockchain is involved is that, um, okay, so let's say for example, the NFT I did, it was a, um, it was a noise core track, Leach did. And when I put it for sale, I listed that, you know, this is going to be the only one, you know, one out of one hyper limited merch kind of deal. Um, so uh, whoever won the, the bid for it, they, it like goes in their 
a digital collection or whatever, and they can show it off and then prove like, oh, look, I have the number one out of one edition. This thing is rare. So, so let's clarify though, because this is where I think people get confused with this. Um, when you say they're adding it to their digital collection, what they're adding to their digital collection is a spot on a blockchain indicating that they bought that one out of one. It is not the music itself, correct? They can listen to the music. Um, I had the option of even transferring the copyright to them if I wanted to. Okay. Um, so like, yeah, they can show it off in the collection. They can listen to it. If it's a song, they can look at it. It's a, if it's a picture, they can watch it. If it's a video um, and the proof of authenticity that they are, who owns that piece of merch it exists only. It digitally. So the track exists digitally as like an audio file. Um, and the proof of ownership ex exists as a spot on the blockchain. Did that, did the audio file, is that like, and what did you send them a wave file? Is it stored online or what? Because I know the way some people did this is they would put an album or a piece of visual art or whatever on the internet and anyone could look at it or listen to it. But in order to say and demonstrate that you owned it, you had to buy the NFT, get that spot on the blockchain and, and be given like proof or have that be able to show people that you're on there. So is, is this audio, uh, this track, audio track, publicly available, publicly hosted? Did you just mail them the file, e email? Just, I don't know, in case anyone for some reason thought I meant physical mail for a digital file, if anyone <laughs> is very easily confused. Um, yeah. Yeah, all I had to do was upload a WAV file and then like type in metadata information. Um, okay. There is a website called Mintable and it's basically like an auction house, but for NFTs. And it was super simple to just get everything uploaded. It took maybe like 10 or 15 minutes altogether to get it done. But it's like, it was just a super user-friendly process and not that different than just uploading a song to Bandcamp. You know what I mean? So you go there, you upload the song, they host the audio file. And then you get, uh, like, what what else happens? It, does that happen? And then what else happens? And then how does it get to the the buyer? Um, so I host everything through the the website. Lets me host everything, and then you can decide if you want to just sell it for a certain dollar amount, or if you want to um, hold it for an auction. In my case, I did an auction for like a week, and the person who won it. Once they, once they win the auction, I guess just the file gets straight sent to their, um, their crypto wallet. And so like what a crypto wallet is, I don't know, dude, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's some, it's some technology where, okay, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna buy Ethereum or Bitcoin with my regular money from my bank account. And instead of it being, instead of the money being in my physical pocket, it's in this digital wallet. Yes, and with yeah. the digital wallet, I can buy things and sell things through websites that so, only deal with cryptocurrency kind so, of shit. So to buy an NFT that you have to use crypto to do that, right? I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah. At sure least that's been my experience, but I've only, I've literally only done one NFT. NFTs and- are kind of new. They're new-ish in regard to it. I believe like a lot of them, it's a lot of it's based around Ethereum. Um, I believe they do. There are like, you can use other cryptocurrencies, but yeah, I don't, I don't think you can buy an NFT with a check, you know, that's, yeah. that kind of defeats the purpose of it in a sense. Um, I, I will get into my thoughts about what I feel about NFTs in a second, but um, yeah, I guess a good way to explain your situation, I guess, like you being able to sell this, it's like, let's say I have the spaz Charles Bronson split. And let's say there was, I know there's like, there's a version where it's like a metal cover. Um, it's like on some weird fucking aluminum die cut. And let's say there's only one of them. That is unique in and of itself, but like that album exists in other forms. So someone can just buy the regular version. You can do that with, you could, is that what you opted for? Like that, that song is still available for like other people. As an NFT, no, we have that song on, um, uh, on one of our different Bandcamp pages. Cause it was from a split that we did. We okay. didn't write a song just for this. Um, it was something I wanted to check out. So I was like, let me use something that already exists as a test. Um, so as an NFT, there's only one. Yeah. But if you just want to listen to it on Bandcamp, you can listen to it there. Or as of yesterday, if you want to listen to it on Spotify, you can just do it there. Okay. Um, kind of look at it. But you can't own it. I mean, now you can't own it unless you buy it from the person who bought the NFT. So only yeah. one person can own it, but anyone can listen to it. And from what I understand, this is how all of this, uh, that's how, maybe not all of them, but that's how most of the, these NFTs that I've ever heard of have worked. So in contrast to, everybody probably remembers when Martin Shkreli bought that's, the one of one yeah. Wu-Tang album. Um, if that was now, that would be an NFT. Yeah, and anyone <laughs> could listen to it. And Shkreli probably wouldn't have bothered buying it because he wouldn't have been able to piss people off. No, what I mean, he was the person who owned it. What I mean is what I, what I mean by that is like, if Martin Shkreli wanted, like, let's say Martin Wu Tang was as maybe uh, probably uh, they probably don't know anything about cryptocurrency. Maybe they do. I don't. I'm, I'm sure they do. They're they're <laughs> successful enough and uh, plugged I, in enough. They probably have. Dude, they though. they own Wu Tang Financial. Of course, they know about oh, crypto. Yeah. yeah what no the shit, hell am I talking? Yeah. About? Come on, keep um, up. So let's say it's now, and I, I guarantee you, like Wu Tang Clan would probably be like, this is a one of one NFT, in the sense that like only one person can own it, and you can listen to the album and you own like everything, but like because it's not a for sale anywhere else, like and it's not streaming anywhere else, it doesn't like it's unique, totally unique, and you know in that sense. But like what the way they did it was unique too, because there was only one of yeah. them. So this is like unique, but only it's a, an item that's unique, but only in a digital realm rather than physical realm. Also, but you can, but you, the, I think the issue, the thing is you can make it wholly unique if you wanted to. Because CJ, if you wanted to, let's say you recorded a song to be an NFT, because you just took a song from a split. Um, you could make the song, like, as you said, you could, you could give the person the copyrights to that song. Um, if they have the copyright, though, then then it's out of your hands whether it's unique or not. They could fucking put it wherever at that point. 
But here's something that I think is really interesting about NFTs. And maybe I'm sure you probably know about the CJ. When it's sold again, you get a portion of that, correct? Mm-hmm. So that's I didn't know that. That's something I think is really interesting because I have a lot of like crit- criticisms about it. I think in the general sense, but like imagine like selling a record, or I should maybe step back real quick. If you're buying a used copy of a seven inch for five thousand dollars, let's say like you know I don't know the negative approach seven inch. Yes, that goes for like several hundred dollars or something like that. Negative approach isn't getting a, a cent of that. Mm-hmm. That person could have bought it for five bucks, three bucks, and that they're now making $700 on it. Uh, in the NFT sense, if that was happening, yeah. negative approach would then be getting like 10 or whatever much percent of those $700 that it's being sold for. And that's why I think it's really interesting because I think it's kind of shitty when people... Um, as we live in the record, uh, in the label world, and we sell physical media, uh, it's kind of shitty when a label sells out of something, and then a week later, people are like kind of price gouging, like the extra records they bought for four, five, ten times the amount that it went for. Um, that happens like way too much, uh, and the fact that the band doesn't get a single cut of it, and no one else does except for the person that you know, kind of bought it, you know, I think that's an interesting take uh, that actually just benefits the artist. Like it doesn't hurt anyone else, but like the artist. I think that's really cool. Yeah. That's what's pretty cool about this whole world. Cause um, you know, there's a lot of things I could touch on with what you just said, but specifically about this whole secondary market aspect of it all. Cause there's all, in every form of trading that's ever existed, you know, the NFTs now, trading records, um, tapes, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, trading cards when you're a kid. Up until this point, no matter like how much profit you as a seller made, um, if, you know, if you're trying to sell it for like monetary value, the creator of the product is never going to see a cut of it. Like I know that new full of hell um vinyl sold out like before i could even fall asleep last night and um you know if i buy that off of someone for like four hundred dollars you know full of hell's not going to get a cut of it versus now that's actually a thing that exists as far as i know for the first time where you know i could sell you i could sell you a song for five dollars and then you could sell it to him for ten bucks and then now I get like a royalty cut from it. Right, right. I didn't know that was how <clears throat> I didn't know that was how it works. Um, I just want to say I'm thinking about now because uh, I mentioned Wu Tang. I'm imagining it's like on a Bitcoin exchange. It's got like BTC, ETH, and then ODB. It's like, <laughs> hey, I said, hey, baby, it's kind of like money, sort of. Don't you worry. <laughs> Hey, I say, hey, I swear it's not a Ponzi scheme run by Peter Thiel. Uh, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Wu-Tang Exchange. Yeah. Um, Dude, honestly, the best way I can describe this um, is that it feels like we're just RuneScape characters now trading things in a fucking RuneScape marketplace. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus the other fucking GE. Um, yeah. Ex- except you don't get your account banned for making real world money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> that's bas- that's I mean, basically where we're living right now. I mean, yeah, that, that is what it's like. And um, I don't fault anyone for messing around with this stuff. Like I, I've been looking into crypto and whatever, make, make your money, the NFT thing. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. That being said, overall, uh, the, the gamified element of it, I think is potentially there's something insidious to that because that's how all this technology is like the, the uh, reason social media is so addictive is because it's designed to be like a game. Um, and this is taking that and applying it to something where people are pumping money into it, um, into these decentralized networks. And I think, I do think just to give my personal opinion, and we can all sort of maybe get into that in a second, there is a lot of potential dangers to that. Um, to speak in sort of broad terms about it, especially since I'm not an expert on this particular technology, you know, a big trope when the Silicon Valley sort of explosion was happening, all these guys there who they were pushing this idea that the internet was going to, they were like pseudo utopians and the internet was going to uh, create all the social progress because it was separate from the state, the big evil state. And there's a lot of talk about democratizing information and democratizing communication because it was happening outside of the conventional channels that are mediated by, again, the state and other traditional sort of social formations. And what I always say when I hear that is, uh, yeah, the Internet has democratized communication and information the same way that America democratized Iraq. Um, There was an established stable structure to things that was really fucked up, but maintain some stability and then it's sort of been obliterated and instead what we're dealing with is a a decentralized set of private sector forces that aren't accountable to anyone and i think that's kind of to me the flip side of the anonymity of of cryptocurrency with the internet generally is that uh non-state actors corporate actors oligarchs whoever have a lot of room to maneuver in the shadows with zero accountability and I was thinking about this because you mentioned the PayPal thing again. Um, PayPal, for those who don't know, is run by a man named Peter Thiel, who is a guy who's worth reading about. Um, kind of a neo-reactionary conservative gay guy from California, I believe. And uh, he's got some pretty gnarly political views and ideas about how the world should be run. Uh, it's sort of like a he's into this neo-reaction stuff, which I, we can't get into here, but it's like techno-monarchy almost. It's like he wants to get rid of the current state and have people like him be like new monarchs and feudal lords. And that's the PayPal guy. And I'm fascinated that he is promoting crypto on his platform, especially since crypto is supposed to be this anti-establishment thing. And he, uh, uh, he if you don't know, he helped Hulk Hogan uh, take down. Uh, that was his big thing. Yep. The, this one new that one newspaper that leaked his sex tape Gawker leaked Gawker. his sex tape and he, he helped Gawker get removed from the internet completely um, so that's why I am and again none of this is me trying to diss crypto per se and I, I think people should learn about it and if they can make money off of it that's great but I am very curious to see where all this stuff leads because as far as tech goes it's still relatively new and um I, I am so curious to see how it plays out and how people who have traditionally held power are, are uh, not to be pessimistic, but probably going to find ways to utilize this to maybe reify some of the same structures that were in place already. 
And it's it's only, I mean, and, and, and it'll be fun to watch for the reason you highlighted to sort of bring it back around because it is happening on the level of like, we're all RuneScape characters trading in a market. So uh, things that would have been kind of mundane before in terms of the way the, the power structure demonstrates itself uh, manifest themselves in really funny ways now and, and ways that are kind of surreal. And uh, I, that's why I think people should keep their eye on this. Absolutely. And I probably will make an NFT because I want to say what I did. Um, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I think crypto can be similar to uh, RuneScape in that uh, pump and dump schemes uh, can work probably really easily. Um, I remember I know that in runes, like literally I'm, I'm being a nerd here right now, but I love runescapes. I don't care. Uh, there have been times, there were times where people would have everyone in their clan buy a certain item and then that, that would inflate the value of the items. And then the, the head person would sell them all and then make a bunch of money. And then anyone that was in on it would get fucked over. And that was like a big thing with crypto. I think in like, for a few years i don't think it really happens that much anymore but like when we see the stuff with like dogecoin and even in bitcoin and stuff like that when you have like any like enhanced interest on something i mean all musk had to do was tweet about it yeah and uh we can get into it let's talk about a fucking pump and dump we could talk about that guy's fucking company but uh and his <laughs> tunnels that he's building and oh my god exploding rockets and but that's uh i think it's it's an interesting uh NFTs are interesting, are just like an interesting thing. And there's not a lot of people that are like talking about it. And whenever I see anyone talk about it, it's always just like, I don't know what this is. It's a JPEG. People are selling JPEGs. And it's like, no, it's it's not. It's more than that. But it's also stupider kind of in a way. Because it's not even the JPEG. You're not buying always JPEG. Not always yeah. a JPEG. So it is, you got to, people has got to kind of know. It's what we want to like, you know. You go peek behind the curtain, I guess, if that makes sense. Did you have to you did you have to pay Ethereum or something to make one? Or could you just make one? I gotta say, up until this point, all I heard was that Hulk Hogan has a sex tape. And that is uh that's where my mind's been for the last couple of minutes. What was that question? Uh <laughs> he has a sex tape. It might be hard to access now because of the PayPal guy, but uh <laughs> Hey, let's make an NFT for the Hulk Hogan sex tape. It's, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Or, uh, I, I made an NFT for Kramer saying the N word, but, um, no, uh, I asked, did you have to like pay Ethereum or crypto or something to make your NFT or no, or can you just um, make one? I, I can't remember if I had to pay anything to host it on, on the platform. Um, I know that whenever the uh, person that won the auction, whenever they won, they had to pay a fee with Ethereum to cover the, to cover like whatever network costs were involved for that transfer okay. of like ownership of the file, um, yeah, not yeah, the copyright, yeah. just the file from my wallet in his because like as far as um one, one thing i was thinking about when i wasn't thinking about uh hulk hogan sex tape was as far as like crypto and nfts go i feel like they have aspects 
from every other form of like investing, trading, currency in general. Um, there's, there's the investor aspect of it, of I'm going to buy something because I believe in what the technology behind it is. So I want to see the volume go up or the price go up or down, but I think it's going to go up. Um, there also does exist the same vulnerabilities and risks that are involved with, you know, like a pump and dump scheme, for example. And I think that Dogecoin is a good example of one that a lot of people are familiar with right now, where all of a sudden in 24 hours, it'll go up by 300% and you see a lot of people buy into it. And then you see a lot of people start selling it. So the price falls, but a lot of people don't sell fast enough. So they're left holding the bag and then they're pissed. Um, being that happened two months ago with GameStop. And then like four weeks later with GameStop again. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, also kind of the same thing where, and as far as NFT is concerned, it can be you're buying a mint condition baseball card from the 60s, or it can be, I just bought a new car off the lot and the second I drive off, the price is going to depreciate instantly. Mm-hmm. But you bought you buy things because you know whatever risks or opportunity costs are involved. So like if you buy an NFT and then no one wants it and you're stuck holding a collectible, well, enjoy it because it's yours anyway. You right, know, like right. I, I don't like my PlayStation 4 any less because it dropped in value. I don't like my car any less because it's not worth the same thing that it was worth four years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess the diff. I mean, you're right that this is like all of the dynamics of investing. It's it's all that's those same dynamics. What's interesting is it's like it's just those dynamics with crypto because there isn't like a. Uh, you're not investing in like let's say I was investing in Chevy. Like there are physical. There's physical production happening. There are cars that are being made and I'm investing in it because I think those cars are going to sell or they're really good or whatever. This is uh, the finance part of finance capital with without production actually being involved, which I find really fascinating, again, given that the U.S. no longer produces anything. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, but, but our society requires this like game of finance capital fuel everything. And that's how people make fucking money here. Um, so it's interesting that there emerged this game that uh, it is all of the financial aspects of capital with none of the production. I think that is really fascinating. And I frankly need to spend more time with it to wrap my head around the significance of it. But it, think- it, it's like they're trying to squeeze juice out of this uh, out of finance w- when like the fruit isn't there anymore, but we can still like apparate juice using the internet. Um, I think there is, interesting. there is something that is like being produced and it's, but it's just not physical. It's just with crypto. It's the concept of a decentralized currency. Well, that, that but was- the issue with it, specifically with Bitcoin, because Bitcoin needs to be mined. Um, is that you can't, it's hard to use a currency that is like going to go up and down so drastically um, because if like, if I paid for a car and let's say a car was 
a tenth of a Bitcoin, like that could be fucking way different in a week. And I'm sure car dealerships don't want to do that versus the dollar, which because we're like what the world currency, the world bank, world currency, reserve, currency, the world reserve, yeah. it, it'll always have like a specific kind of value. I think that's probably, the, probably, yeah. the, the big issue. That's, that's how I always looked at crypto. But um, I think if there are people that like want to push it to decentralize it and create a better society, I, I guess. So that, that raises an interesting point that I was on my mind, which is I'm starting to think that calling it currency is misleading. Like if, if what you're saying is accurate and, and spent when you buy this shit, what you're doing is saying, I believe in this technology. I think it's important. Then, then that is like you're investing in a, a stock. You're buying a stock in Bitcoin, yeah. as opposed to actually trading money for a for a currency. And I, I'm kind of struggling with which one it is. I think because if that's what's really driving it, then then yes, then it is just like investing in a in a uh, product that more, isn't actually physical. But it's like more than that because you can still use it to do stuff. It would be like it's like I guess maybe like. Currency, but also like bartering in a sense, because like, let's say I had like, I don't know, we, let's say our uh, weed, we'll, t- we'll talk about weed for a second. Weed's legal in New York State, for those that, if you yeah, forgot. His homeboy can't keep his hands to himself, so he uh, um, decided to distract everybody. Yeah, thanks Cuomo. Uh, if I had, if someone was like, at a show of mine and was like, hey, I don't have, and I, sm- I like smoking weed. And someone's like, I don't have $20 for this shirt. Can I give you $20 worth of weed? And I like had, was like, yes, I like weed enough to do that. I would do that. Um, I guess that's how I kind of look at crypto because it's like most people that invest in crypto aren't using it to buy shit with crypto. But um, which, some people which do. Raises a question. Well, yeah, and you can buy uh, illegal things with it on the dark web, of course, which... Uh, but I, I, I don't think that is mainly what's driving the value. I, no. think, I think it is an, an investment for, for most people that are purchasing it. And I think you, interesting. CJ brought up a good point about like having something and like enjoying it because I, I would like to know what your thoughts on like stuff like Funko Pops are. Because I feel I had a thought the other day that Funko Pops are the <laughs> absolute worst case of a society in which we appreciate nostalgia and collectibles but those collectibles are only made to be collectible because they're told they're collectible. Yeah, they're toys you can't play with they're toys you can't play with i mean they're vinyl i guess it's all vinyl figurines but like it's a it's like beanie i remember the beanie baby you might be i don't know you're a little younger than us cj but like the whole beanie baby thing in the 90s and like the idea i, I mean it's so different than so many of those dude. it's so different than fucking i remember as a kid with pokemon cards like Keep your Pokemon cards. They're going to be worth something in the future. And it's like, yes, but only to the people that would value that. Like if no one in 2021 was like, Pokemon cards are valuable, then they'd all be garbage worth this bullshit. It's only, something's only valuable if people consider it value. Yes, which raises some interesting questions about use value versus actual value, et cetera. you said something before that. What? What I remember? I'm, I'm trying to remember. There's something. Beanie games. babies. Yeah. Oh, let me yeah. jump. Let me the jump fuck, on in before the, you before you go. I was just down say, that 
I was just going to say the fucking Beanie Babies. I remember people bought little plastic cases to put over the tags so that the tags didn't get like uh, crumpled. But and that's insane. But go on. So I think there's a lot of like mixed jumbled together ideas and interpretations um, just off of everything that just got brought up. So I'm going to try to untangle all these knots so we can follow like the individual strands. So uh, when y'all talked about, yes, cryptocurrency by itself can be used as similar to like the US dollar where you can just buy things. But the, the fault there is um, that it's not stable. It's not consistently the same price every single day. That's a problem with trying to use Bitcoin as a currency. That's the problem with trying to use um, a lot of them as a currency. But there exists this whole tier called stablecoin, which literally is just, it's, that, yeah. yeah, it's just the same thing every single day. Like um, the United States has their own stablecoin. It's just USDT and it's a dollar's worth a dollar worth a dollar. There's another one called DAI. That's uh, same thing there. Sometimes like once every six months, the price will change to like 99 cents or a dollar and a penny. But it, for the most part, it's resistant to volatility. Um, there's two categories of cryptocurrency. There's Bitcoin, which is just Bitcoin. That's it. It's the only one in that, in that, only one in that club. And then there's altcoins, which is literally all the other ones. And there's like hundreds, if not thousands of different altcoins, some that exist as a form of stable currency. So let's say, let's say I got some kid in Indonesia to design like, or to like program like a slam band for me. And I wanted to pay them in whatever their country's currency in. So if I went to the bank and I was like, hey, I need to wire transfer this to um, this artist. I want to send them, I want to send them five money to do a wire transfer. The bank's going to take it. So then there's four money and then four money takes a week to go from a U.S. bank to an international bank. And then it takes another like few days or a week to go from the international bank to the artist bank. So when they get to the bank, it costs another money to even withdraw it. Mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. they only get three money. I, I sent them five. They only receive three and it takes two weeks, which is um, a shitty ass transaction. Like, could you imagine trying to do that at the gas station? Yeah. Ridiculous. You know, it's, it's like I pay for $30 of gas, but I'm only getting $20 worth of gas. And it's taken two weeks to even pump the gas into my car. So certain cryptocurrencies exist to be able to like send money internationally that fast for a fraction of the price. Um, then there are the ones who their value is in the technology that exists. Kind of like Dropbox doesn't make anything physical, but Dropbox is valuable. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they exist to be able to do other technological things that are really cool. And then there's brands of altcoins that exist just because they're fun to collect. And that's kind of the tier that Dogecoin falls in is they're just fun to collect. They don't have any technology behind it, but 
there's no technology behind Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, but you play it just because it's fun. And that's what I, that's what I appreciate about Dogecoin is like, I mean, I, I've got like 10 bucks in it. That's it. I don't care. I'm not trying to make money off Dogecoin, but everybody knows what that is at this point. Like your aunt knows what it is for sure. Kind of level of awareness, which is bringing people in because, Oh, this is kind of like, uh, this is kind of like a fun game to play. And then they get introduced to some other altcoins or Bitcoin. And then they can see, Oh, there's really cool things going on. Or they can do what I do and go the gamified route and be like, Oh, there's money to be made in here. This is kind of tight, which I think is probably more common, but yeah, regardless. um, Yeah. And like, I, I totally get the whole being wary of the gamified aspect of it. It's the same risk as to why you should be wary about getting into the stock market or wary, worry about, um, you know, playing roulette or something like that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can be a game and I'm trying to win. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to make any, I don't want to be misleading and come off as someone who like super strongly believes in this. And like, I'm championing this cause because like, yes, that exists, but mostly I'm just trying to get paid. And this is a really interesting way that people that don't make a lot of money, such as myself, can see somewhat like literally life-changing financial gains in a short amount of time with not a lot of investment. Like if I've heard it described as like, you know, the stock market is for wealthy people to build wealth and the crypto market is for everybody else to build wealth. Um, not to, not to try to like share numbers or anything like that, but I know like one test I did for myself was I had an old 401k from uh, a bank job that I used to have. And I checked and the, um, the amount of interest that I was earning on it was negative 0.1%. So I was losing like 15 bucks a year, just keeping this bag there. And I was like, I, I bet that I can, I bet I can like reinvest that better, like at a way better rate, even if it's like a half a percent in the green over the course of the year. Hey, a win is a win. Green is green. Let's play this game. So around January, I cashed out that old 401k, took a pretty significant financial hit. And I've, yeah, like over the course of last week, I've already financially recovered from it. So we're talking, we're talking like I took a 10 grand hit and then I've like recouped my losses in almost, in almost two months. Versus the amount of the amount of time it took me to get from like that minus 10 back up to uh, like my regular balance the first time around, just from, you know, like having my money in my, you know, checking and savings account way faster. Holy shit. Way faster. So yeah, um, that's crazy. Yeah. It's just cool. It's just yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I think people people should be a little more informed. I think people should just like, like with a lot of things. Gotta, I, I hate 
the, the phrasing, you know, do your research. This is yeah, totally. hoping to be kind of like an eye opener for some people to be like, look into it. You know, maybe they no one would be interested in collecting digital art. Uh, I think, like as I mentioned earlier, the um, the the kind of the residuals, you know, the kind of kickback that artists kind of get if something they have sold again. That's cool. I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, yeah. Not even in just like a cryptocurrency way, but like just, I don't know. I, I, I can imagine some people in, you know, underground obscure bands that see their, their art, you know, getting sold for hundreds of times worth than what it was. And I don't, in terms of value, and people say something may not be valuable, but like it may not be valuable. But it's like really at the end of the day, it's like the only thing that makes something valuable really for the most part is if it's desired. You know, I guess like yeah. food has like something like food or water has value to it because like you absolutely need it. But, you know, no one needs to have a record. No one needs to have a painting. You don't need to have it. This is getting at questions that I've been grappling with here that I need to grapple with more. Okay. Um, and how uh, cryptocurrency would you, would give Karl Marx an aneurysm, which is to, oh my God. to be expected because it's, you know, however long ago he was alive. But yeah, he, I mean, he probably wouldn't even understand. He'd probably be like a computer. Yeah. Computer. So I don't know why I did that accent. Um, it's, it was. <laughs> I'm, computer, I'm Karl Marx, computers. I am. From the where is he from? He was from Germany. Oh, okay. But um, any, anyway, like in, in that line of thinking, like you talk about where does value come from? He said that the that a commodity has like a use value, which is how much it's what you can use it for, and then an exchange value, which is how much people will pay for it. Which I think is an okay way to think about commodities. And we'll come back to that in a second. One thing that economists generally agree he was off about was he said that the uh, use value of a commodity was created by the labor used to create it, which I think is probably more complicated than that. Um, yeah. Leaving out like raw materials or whatever, you wasn't talking about that. He said about like, if you buy like a fucking uh, microphone or a plate or whatever it may be like that, that wouldn't be valuable if the labor wasn't put in to take the raw materials and turn it into a commodity. Um, this is interesting because there isn't like, if Bitcoin is a, or an NFT, if if these are commodities, like there isn't labor being put in to make them unless you count the fucking processors working overtime to mine Bitcoin, which is a fascinating thought because it's those that isn't human labor, but it's energy being it's like they've got little robot slaves producing yeah. value um, in these fucking it's automated. Containers. Yeah. Yeah, it's automated, which raises a whole bunch of other questions yeah. about. Well, that's where the world's going anyway. Yeah, that's you know, the, we have I, automated I, cashiers now. So yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and by and, now, I mean for like the last fifteen years. And and so removing humans from the creation of value elsewhere is it coinciding with something like this, where it's like the. Uh, I mean, the, the game has always been to obscure the role of labor that labor plays in creating value. Yeah. This is literally cutting the, and with automation too, the human labor is literally getting cut out of it, which I think is maybe a sign of where, of where some things are headed. But the other question is, and I, I need to grapple with this more is like, is Bitcoin, and, and actually regulators are grappling with this as well. Is Bitcoin a commodity or is it a fucking currency? Cause it's kind of both. And, um, 
depending on where the the law ends up coming down on that, that could affect Bitcoin markets because commodities markets are not regulated very much at all, but there are definitely restrictions on currencies that I don't think are applying to this currently. And I don't know how you would even apply them. You, If it's a commodity, then you could, um, I guess, I don't really know, maybe the legal, the restrictions would come in on the exchanges, the fucking Robinhood or Coinbase or whatever people use. But uh, yeah, I will probably talk about crypto again because now I want to delve deeper into this issue of is this a fucking commodity or not? I mean, I cannot see where the use value of it is. We covered that, you know, in terms of the anonymity of it and all that. So the use value is there. I think it's probably fair to say that the exchange value, what people are willing to pay for it, exceeds the use value of it for most people. Yeah. And uh, that discrepancy is, uh, I mean, that's how it is with a lot of this shit. I think that's true with fucking Tesla stocks and everything else. So it's kind of the basis of the current, iteration of capitalism that we have is that, that you can see huge discrepancies between the actual use of something and the value of it. Yeah. I'm not really sure how you would like try to quantify um, that difference, but there's, uh, a lot, there's a number of different I, theories on that, but yeah. Yeah. I, don't, uh... I mean, a currency is what you use to buy commodities. It, it, a currency ostensibly reflects mm-hmm. the value of commodities. I mean, how, is how is it any different than like a rare nickel? Ooh, you know, that's that's a good that's, that's a, a good that's question. A currency. That's a currency, but it's worth more but than a regular. It's worth more than a nickel by virtue of its scarcity, which I guess but is why this is again. Theory. I think it boils down to it's only worth something if people think it's worth something, and that's maybe where well, the, so is the dollar. Yeah, it's yeah, fair. yeah. I mean, that's, that's um, exchange. Exchange. So is the euro. And like maybe with like these rare rare things, it's only it's maybe more than what it is. Like I I don't think most people would pay more money for any fucking currency, but like some people would. And it's no different than like fucking paintings that cost that are worth ten million dollars. But it's like people most people would probably see it and be like, I don't want this dog shit in my fucking house. But like it's a way to like kind of generate value and like uh, worth for like rich, for like people who have a lot of money. And it's conjuring, it's conjuring the worth kind of out of thin air, which yeah. I, again, I think is something that our uh, society necessitates as increasingly uh, we're not actually producing things anymore. And mm-hmm. people are increasingly not working either. Uh but uh, it'll probably be fine uh, unless and until the uh, Chinese yuan becomes a world reserve currency, in which case things will get really, really fun up in here. Um, they're doing some wild things with Bitcoin over there, too. Right? They have crazy fucking mining operations. Oh, so yeah. shout out to President G. Um, you should, uh, I don't know, fund our show or something, and I'll uh, <laughs> repeat propaganda on the podcast. It, it, that seems like so a better a deal than things. better deal than like a blue chew ad read, right? Yeah. It's just uh, talking about how Xinjiang is nice, but no, go on. Yeah, so a couple things that like y'all have actually touched on in that is um, regulation, what China's doing with it, both kind of fall under the umbrella of is government involved in it yet? And like, yeah, yeah the answer is yeah. Like it's totally involved um, all the way down to like, you, you sell a stock 
you walk away with capital gains, you have to pay capital gains tax. That's already a thing for crypto. And okay. when, when you look at how each country across the world is handling it, it's totally different. Like that's interesting. Um, okay. China did ban, I think China did ban Bitcoin for a little while and like other cryptocurrencies were still available. I don't really know because I don't pay attention to that side all that much. Um, but I know like in India right now, their parliament is trying to decide how to approach it as well with their financial institutions. And then when you look at what the US is doing, uh, more specifically, what U.S. companies are doing. I know we've mentioned or Tesla's come up a lot, but they're a great example of a company that's like, okay, we're going to allow customers to use this as a currency. You can look at like a Wells Fargo, a Bank of America, who are investing into it as an asset and saying, this is something that can not only raise our bottom line, maybe more than physically having a banks a bank somewhere um as another form of investment for them to raise money it's all about like how different organizations and different governments are approaching it and i think as just as this this new form of technology like you know bitcoin and blockchain and cryptocurrency as a whole just as it becomes more established i think that's when a lot of these larger questions are going to start having clearer answers you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah definitely yeah and we need uh time needs to kind of move ahead for some of these uh some yeah, some of the stuff to kind of reveal itself uh it's interesting i mean we're kind of in this moment right now where history is being made you know we oh, don't know yeah. what's going to happen and history was supposed to end in the yeah history was supposed to end in the early nineties. Uh, that was what everybody thought, and that was maybe the most hilariously wrong thing prediction anybody ever had was that end of history essay that I think everybody should read just to look at how fucking wrong and stupid it is. But uh, yeah, we're definitely living in a big historical moment now. I mean, it's almost hack to say that because people say that all the time. But I think these questions of uh, Automation, like you said, but above beyond that, the role of technology and how it relates to our economic the structure of production in the world is going to be a huge uh, part of that. Because I, I don't, there's no like real route towards currently, and this hopefully changes, any real route towards changing the fundamental like economic structure of the planet. Like it's capitalism is here for the foreseeable future. Um, unfortunately, but, uh, things that have been, been, uh, integral to that for a long time are going to be phased out because they're not going to be needed anymore because of all these technological advancements. Uh, but, but at the same time, it's like, okay, like if you have, if things are automated, people don't have jobs anymore. And like, America, like America's not producing things anymore. At the same time, everyone here needs to keep buying shit in order for everything to keep running. So that's a contradiction. UBI. Yeah, I was just going to say U universal basic income. UBI. UB, UB, yes, UBI is going to happen, I think, and uh, that's that's going to need to at the very least. Yeah, there, there's. I don't think there's any way that it can uh, cannot happen. Um, I'm pretty um, sure 
2020 showed the majority of America that there needs to be a better financial safety net for its people more so than its corporations. I mean, that, that trickles all the way down to even how many restaurants do do you know that are struggling to hire is the answer every single one of them, because I feel like every single restaurant that exists right now is struggling with that because that's an industry where it's kind of accepted that every tier of that ladder is going to kind of suck a lot in some way or form, especially when it comes to the pay. So now you have things are opening back up, restaurants are opening back up, they um, need more labor, but they're not able to provide an attractive enough incentive to make people want to come back to restaurants. And this isn't like a way of, you know, crapping on how the restaurant industry works. You know, I, I don't know enough about, about it to make any sort of like comment or definitive judgment. You can definitely crap out. You can crap out some of those people, I would say, but go on. (laughs) Absolutely. But it does expose the need for people to have better safety nets because I just think, I just think that, I don't know why I'm trying to go deeper with it. I just think that. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I think that too. And I agree with, with I mean, what you're saying, but real quick, uh, like there, I think there was like a internal leak from like uh, the company, the corporation that owns like Arby's or something like that, that they like killed like the minimum wage increase. And like, there's like proof that a $15 minimum wage, I think from like some of those companies, maybe not them, someone else. And, uh, it wouldn't like affect their business. Like, yeah, it doesn't affect them losing money. It doesn't affect them. Like they, in fact, it would might be better for them because people would have a little bit more money to like spend. Like it does nothing. So we we are in this eternal, this real struggle, this fucking game of uh, a tug of war where they're like these restaurants and other places, like at the fucking, uh, the eye doctor that I went to, like they had a now hiring sign. Like everywhere has it has them now. Um, there's this fucking struggle of like, we need workers. That's like, okay, pay me more than what you offered before the fucking pandemic. And it's like, no, why would I do that? It's like, there's got to be like a little essential. bit of give. You said like, you were I get it. Ago. But yeah, it's it's insane ideology that they're like that addicted to maximizing maximizing their profits to that much that they i mean this is something that countless theorists have talked about is the capacity for capitalists to cannibalize themselves uh just because of the uh they can't get themselves outside of the calculus of profit maximization i agree with everything you guys just said just the point i was getting at is that safety net you're talking about it, it i think it should happen yeah definitely but also like the corporations and the people at the top also need that to happen because the whole edifice is fueled by like American consumption. Like yeah. if no one has any money to spend, then they don't have money because they can't. That that's literally what fuels the whole fucking thing. American consumption specifically, they don't. There's no incentive for them to throw people a safety net in the third world, but they need us to keep buying shit. So I think we are going to see um, in in UBI and shit like that in the near future, which. I, I, I guess it's good, but I hope people are realistic about what it actually represents when that happens. So do we want yeah, to- I'm, I'm speaking specifically for United States just because that's where yeah. I live. I don't, yeah, yeah. I yeah, don't really yeah. pay attention to any, like that other kind of flavor of it. Right, right. 
So do we want to pivot to like maybe one other topic and then be good? Yeah. I mean, I want, I guess I, would, I want to talk about you have a label, right? Yeah. Cause you have a label. Yeah. And I have a label and uh, you know, we're label owners yeah. talking to each other. Um, just speaking I, of entrepreneurs, small. Business yeah. We're, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the, if anyone wants to tip me in crypto, please do. Oh, my wallet address <laughs> is a lot of le- letters and numbers long. <laughs> Dude, imagine getting like, I don't know. I've, I've done it before where like I bought stuff on Bandcamp and I've paid more than what it was for. Yeah. And it's, I, think I have more customers people, that do that. More people yeah. need to do that. If you're listening more, do that. Just bump that 18 up to a 20. Like, uh, we appreciate it. Um, I was gonna ask. So, what you, you recently put out? Didn't you? You put out that sleep terror, torture seven inch sleep torture. Yes, sleep torture. Yeah. Um. So, little background. I've been doing sure. The name of the label Shirley Road Records. I've been doing that label since about September ish of 2017. Um. I named it that because that's the street I was living on when I started it. Um. And yeah, I did recently just do, I think it came out earlier December, the sleep torture, um, eight inch lace cut record. Cause I felt like being extra with it. Um, yeah, sleep torture sick. They're a, uh, dark hardcore band that they're a converged core band. That's the best way to put it. Um, been friends with them for a while before sleep torture. They were this band called Visu that Leah Chate played our first Raleigh show with. So just from that show, uh, we became friends and have, you know, we see each other at shows or like, well, yeah, we'll just see each other at shows a lot. Um, and then they knew what I was doing with the label and they knew that I was friends and a fan of their music. So when the, when talking started about putting out this most recent EP, it was just like, Hey friends, I'll help you do this. And they were like, cool friend. That sounds awesome. Which since you're also a, uh, a small little DIY ran out the house label, you know, that's basically how all of these things go, which is awesome and fun. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask like, do, does most of your stuff, like, do you get people to ask how like hit you up to do it? Um, Cause I, I think when we did the slap a ham challenge and we were going through 64 releases, and knowing what I know about like smaller labels, especially in the, or like DIY stuff in like the nineties and stuff like that, maybe in the two thousands, like, I think a big thing that we don't see much anymore is a label hitting up a band to be like, yo, I heard your demo. You want to do a seven inch? You want to do this, that? Like, is that like how you've like done most of your stuff with your label is like bands hitting you up or are you hitting them up? Uh-huh. It's probably like 50 50 it really just depends on the band um for sleep torture i honestly can't remember who hit who up it might have been me like poking the bear like yo you guys are so cool i would love to put out your next ep or whatever or maybe they're like hey we have this ep can you help us do it um in the pipelines right now i have an example of both i have a record i say record but i have um a physical release coming out for a friend of mine and i hit him up saying what you're doing is cool i want my name next to your name i also have another album coming out in the next like month or two where someone reached out to me said hey i see your label i like what you're doing can you help us out 
all just comes down to, uh, yeah, it just changes from band to band, artist to artist. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking about everything I think I've done has been the people hitting me up and I'm trying to like change that. There's some like things that, some ideas I have where it's like asking bands to like do something that they may not normally do. Um, we need you to do a reggae tone record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hitting up a power violence band and be like, yes, we need a, uh, we need a ska record from you. Have you heard daddy janky? <laughs> <laughs> this- yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the main way I try to approach it. Cause it's like daddy Yankee. <laughs> when, yeah. I approach it just like daddy Yankee. <laughs> um, whenever I, <laughs> Whenever I started the label, um, kind of like my criteria of who I wanted to work with is, do I like who's involved? Do I think, and do I think the music is cool? So I just try to make sure that I check both boxes with everything I do. And that's what's really nice about the majority of who I've worked with is they were people that I already were friends with. So it's as simple as saying, hey, friends, like, I think you're a winning team. Let me help. I want to be part of this winning team. Let me help you guys as much as I can. Like that's the whole reason why I got involved with doing a label in the first place. Like I wanted to do one ever since I was in high school because it's fun for me to be the behind the scenes guy that can help the big picture come to fruition. You know, like over the course of me doing the label, Yes, I get things submitted to the plant. I handle all the online distribution. I do all the mail orders, customer service. I also, well, pre-pandemic, I was also booking the show. If I had to run door, I would run door. I've mixed shows. I've you know helped with stagehand stuff. I was an employee for Live Nation and worked as a runner, worked as a stagehand, and then briefly worked as a you know, a production assistant before that ended. Um, I do similar to being a one person operation. I do all the marketing. I do all the advertising. If I'm getting in touch with PR agent, that's me doing it. Or I have a spreadsheet of different publications and I'm just cold calling people hoping, hoping that someone will respond. And MathCore index did dude. Shouts out to MathCore index. They talked about the, um, the sleep torture EP and so did uh, Metal Trenches with a V on YouTube. That guy, Johnny's cool too. Um, where is why the did v I start metal ranting tr- about what I just said? Where is the V in Metal Trenches? That I, I don't understand where the V would come from. That's a good question. <laughs> Linguistically. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, wait. I was like, is there a U? <laughs> I was like, there's no U. Uh, where the hell is the V? V Metal. I would say the name M E T. It's how you spell metal. Like an A is upside down. <laughs> We're doing the good old YouTube. Is going to answer this in a second because I'm, I'm going straight there looking. Thank you. The listeners too. need to know. Met- metal. Wait. I'm full of shit. There's not a V in this name. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, that's. Uh, yeah, it's just. It's just called metal trenches, and it's it's the dude that has like the top half of a skull for a mask. Mm-hmm. Either way, he's pretty cool. cool. John something, dude. That's cool awesome. dude. He I pay, gotta say that's he, 
being like, I feel like I started my label uh, because I wanted to put out stuff for my bands and like, so like friends bands. That was it. It's just like, I need like a moniker underneath something for like my label for like what I do. It's mostly all my bands, but like, especially this year, this besides the fetish Betty tap split I did, it's like the next few things is a lot of like my bands, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, I was going to ask, how did the pandemic kind of like affect you? Did you have like some releases that like you were hoping that um, with shows would like really propel it? Cause that's how with the Holy Water EP I did, which I do play in, and then the redundant protoplasm album that I put out, it's like, oh, sweet. We got uh, redundant protoplasm is doing uh, mad shit. And, you know, uh, I think it's going to be good and get their name on. And then it's like zero momentum. Like everything kind of like went to a halt. And it's kind of hard to sell something that like people don't know of if they, there's nothing to kind of put that in their face. You know, and uh, shows are, and tours, even small tours are, like a really good way for like smaller bands to kind of get noticed to an extent. So how did that like kind of affect you and your label? First off, shouts out redundant protoplasm. I have that hammer shirt in my closet hanging up. Um, remind me when this is over, I need to hit you up for a, for a wholesale order that I want to cop from you. But as far as how the pandemic affected things, it was pretty chill. Um, I'm probably in the uh, minority of opinions on this, but I high key loved not having to go to a single show for a year (laughs) because it's pretty exhausting when every single weekend is committed to going to see your friends play. Yes, it's fun, but you miss out on a lot of other aspects of life. Fortunately, the bands that I work with um, aren't bands that need to stay on the road to a band um so everything came out on schedule nothing had to get pushed back everyone was on the same page of like yeah well we can't tour right now but we have music so let's just put the new music out anyway which i think is the right is the right way to do things put music out and then when you can tour again people actually know your new songs um so i honestly would say it helped the label Overall, because it allowed me in my personal life to just like slow down, which you slow down, you're in a good headspace, then you can work more efficiently and enjoy what you're doing more instead of being stressed all the time. Um, Funny about the show thing. So since, since I started the label, I made a point to always have um, a vendor table at either if I'm playing the show, if I book the show, or if I'm friends with the promoter, I, I try to be there with a distro table. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had a little one set up when Tyler, you and I played together. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, under the deck, I, I had a yes. little, little table and there's like a little shitty flashlight somewhere. Um, I, did, I, I did a whole bunch of uh, statistics and like data analysis stuff on my my labels every single transaction i've ever made every dollar came in everything that was spent on advertising um i've kept i've kept track of every single transaction since when i started the label 
And I've been getting really into data analytics. So I decided to use my label as practice for some of these data analytic skills. So um, I compiled everything into a big ass spreadsheet and just ran uh, a bunch of like multi linear or multivariable regressions on it and actually came out with a formula that showed, okay, here are all the different things that make a record label money, which ones bring me the most money, AKA make the most and which ones don't, which ones weigh the least. I proved to myself, I don't know how, but the math is saying that every time I do a vendor table, I lose like 40 bucks. I was like, no way. I get it for free. What are you talking about? I'm not losing money. But I don't think that me or my bands selling things um, physically at shows is the most important aspect for our bottom line. Playing shows is, but having to be posted up at like someone else's show doing the, doing the vending isn't necessarily the most profitable thing. So. I, I totally believe that is someone yeah. who's, who's been to a show before and seen the guys standing there, not selling anything. Um, me. Also, just, that's me. Yes. It's everybody. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, shout out to you for doing fucking analytics for like a punk label. I'm, that is a <laughs> whole nother universe from, uh, some of the releases that the anyone listening, yeah. anyone listening, hit me up. Uh, He's got fucking December, spreadsheets. I started. Well, no, check this out. In December, um, I started another business called Coronado Business Data Analytics. I exist to be able to help labels and primarily labels, but I'll do bands as well. Come up with a monthly sales forecast. So that way every single month, you know how you can kind of have a good guess about how much money you're going to bring in with your small business, AKA your label or your band. I don't know if I need financial advice license. So maybe I shouldn't be advertising this. I don't think it's financial advice. Uh, you could probably I'm not use... telling anyone what to do, but I can, I can build a formula that says, Hey, here, here's proof that, it's more important that you release new music under the label or that you get wholesale distro or that you make merchandise for just your label or that you post up shop and try to do a show or that you just spend more money on advertising. I'm not telling anyone what to do with their money, how to reinvest into their label, but based on you just their sales history and advertising history, I can show them here's here's what we can predict based on how you already do things yeah you're just analyzing what they're doing already that's i you're in the clear with that i think but that's that's awesome that, that you know how to how to do that stuff and we're gonna be oh, so much fun probably looking at it it sounds like fun i'm i'm looking at learning some similar things right now but not not quite the exact same thing but uh yeah that's that's cool and um it's good you know because you're a punk label or whatever doesn't you know there's uh professionalism that can be useful and um i mean the big thing for me is just i've been in lots of bands that have recorded things and they haven't come out or bands that i've known that were great and they recorded things that were great and they never got released and uh it would be cool especially now that i mean i'm mostly talking about stuff from like in our we're all in our early 20s um it's cool that now we're all a little bit earlier older and 
have more money and, and fewer brain cells, but we're killing them at a much slower rate. So uh, we can maybe apply ourselves more. And, and, and the big thing for me is always just like, well, I want this documented, you know, in 10 years, I want to be able to say this is my band's fucking record. And uh, if we can use a degree of professionalism to do that more consistently, then I, I think that's great. And that's something I'm aiming, aiming to do. And, 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 and so that other people, so that it can reach other people, you know, I'm not somebody who's invested in like, I want my band to be super popular, but the music I make has, uh, is intended to reach people and affect them and maybe, uh, make them feel a little bit better or, or think a little bit more, feel something. And, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with putting in a little bit of extra work to do that more effectively. I think, I think that's great. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wouldn't be going this extra mile if I didn't have fun doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that too. It is pretty cool because it's almost like a big puzzle to figure out how can you make your operation as self-sustaining as possible? Because the easiest way to have longevity as a band is for it to be putting money in your pocket. That way you don't have to be stressed about having another job outside of it to make ends meet. You know, if you hit that tier where you're able to like live entirely off your income or yeah. Well, yeah, live entirely off the income that your music or just small business in general creates like with leachate, we're a small band still like we've never been on a tour or anything like that. Um, I don't think we've even played a show outside of the state. If you look at our Spotify numbers, I think we have less than... 30 monthly listeners and we only have two songs that have more than a thousand plays but we also have like 500 bucks in the band bank and there's definitely bands that are larger and more well known than us than us that have way less money than we do and that's not like a flex or anything but it is a recognition that it's possible within the world of music that we operate in that there's a way to go about it smartly and make some money. So that way you're walking out of the show, your band got paid and now you can buy whatever beer you want instead of having drink leftover warm beer that the promoter left for you. Right. Right. You know, you got to think about it in real terms. What's the real advantage here is you don't have to drink leftover rolling rock. Yeah. And I, (laughs) I think you can get a nice brown ale. A thing that there's a uh, people, especially bands, uh, like to focus their energy. And I think this is a creator, maybe a creative thing. They love to focus their energies on things that kind of don't truly matter that big that much. I'm not saying that some things don't matter, but like uh, a thing that I was thinking about is like when band, I see dudes in bands and they're like, dude, I just got like a new kick, my new kick drum has like our logo i got a custom logo on our kick drum and it's like that's cool like oh yeah that's sick that's sick uh you play to like 20 people like is that like the best investment of like your band like is someone ever gonna be like well you know i uh, i saw this band and they had their label their logo on the kick drum and now i remember who they are it's like i don't i don't yeah. think that's the best that's fun if you if you need a kit if you have the money to do that that's fine depends on how cool the logo is depends if it is a, if it's a sick logo, maybe that then is like, that is pretty cool. I will There's, say, um, I did when we saw deterioration the first time. Uh, they had 
on their kick drum, like some dude's head that was like blown off or something ridiculous. And so it was like, that was like, when I saw that, it was like, oh, this is, this band's crazy. And there is still to this day, like one of my favorite bands. So. I mean, yeah, but, but there's, I, there's but definitely, I, there's definitely an opportunity cost to everything. Um, but I know I would rather have people know about my band because they heard about us through some good like advertising decisions that I made and they like the music versus they think our drum head looks cool. And I, every band's allowed to operate differently. I think every band should operate differently, figure out what works best for you. That's just what I, that's where I would rather be investing our efforts towards lasting long. And not just Leach, like Locust Rain too, even though we're a lot newer and haven't really shown ourselves to the world yet all that much. Um, it's all about just figuring out what works best for your band. Yeah, I mean, when I got my uh, Israeli flag pick guard for my guitar, that was absolutely a worthwhile opportunity cost. Uh, it's been a huge game changer. Uh, had a lot of opportunities open up since we did that. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Dude, you should get one like that. Right? That would be so sick. That would be cool. Um, well, yeah, just uh, I guess probably should wrap it up. It's been yeah. an hour and a half or so. Um, I guess, is there any uh, plugs that you wanted to plug? Anything you want to plug? Locust Rain, our first record is coming out this fall for the label, um, putting out the new Burial Sounds. They are a North Carolina to be experimental, some kind of duo. The new record sounds like noise country, and it's awesome. Um, I Hear Ghosts, electronic project first album god's not here is coming out very soon um malobstra a colombian black metal band um i'm doing their i guess like official u.s release for their back catalog including their newest record that just came out uh there's go to the shirley road Bane camp and buy all the pairs of the leachate and scuzz sweatpants that we have. We didn't do a split, but we did split sweatpants and they're sick. So buy them. That's what the people want. I, I want more uh, branded sweatpants. I got the uh, camo integrity sweats on right now and I bought these things. So I got it. That's a good Dude, one. Ours are sick. Ours are sick across the butt. It says East Coast debauchery. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> Nice, nice. <laughs> I think that's everything that needs plugging. Hit me up to do your record labels data analytics. I'm easy to work with. Yeah, uh, that would be. I would like. I think more people should probably kind of think. Maybe even not. Just I think that's something a lot of people still want to think. Of. They don't want to think about it because. Uh, I mean, it would have never crossed their minds no. in, in our world, to be honest. Just keep I, track of your money. Yeah, that's just easy. You just pay what? attention to what you're buying. That's all you got to do. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of people in like our scene don't care if they lose money. Like, there's some releases where like I've like probably am not going to recoup the money, but like, whatever, man. You know, as long as I'm having fun, that's what's important, right? Right. That's right. And uh, spoiler alert, I my. My label definitely operates in the red every single year. I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not sitting on like same gains I'm sitting on with crypto. I'm getting a tax refund because of how little I make. <laughs> yeah, <it's probably laughs> but right. I know what I spend the money on. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I know where the money went. (laughs) It's about minimizing how in the red you are so that you can buy more cool pick guards. Like one with, you tire, I think you usually get one with like Bob Marley's face on it. Oh, yeah. And to match, you already have like a roster color. Like, what about, what about, what about Peter Griffin as Bob Marley? That would be the sickest pick guard I've ever seen. We should put that on the drum head, actually. <laughs> That's the new album cover. Yeah. No, new merch design. Bro, what if make he, some socks that have that? What, bro, what if he smoked weed with Brian? <laughs> this is how we're going to make money. Is we, we At the end of the day, business practices aside, we've got the X factor. We're coming up with good ideas. That's what counts. Yeah. It's uh, what if Peter was, was Bob Marley and he smoked weed with Brian? <laughs> I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, you don't steal I'm gonna that. get a hoodie that has cucumber Joe on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good shit. Um, all right, yeah. Uh, just briefly before we wrap up, I would just we don't have we've been plugging our shit all the time, but leaking head demo is in progress. It'll be out soon. Stay tuned for that. Um, got other new things coming up too, but that's like the most immediate one. Check us out on interest in. Jesus Christ, butchering this social media platform's name. Instagram at Cop Pod Official. Uh, we got new podcast related announcements coming soon too. So stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, you got anything else before we sign off? Uh, that's about it. I mean, the faith and failure stuff, keep an eye out for that. Got a lot of cool stuff. Maybe some events, you know? Yep. Ooh, yep. You know, who knows? Uh, that's about it. HR, um, hallucination realize. Hopefully, our split's coming up. I think our split's gonna be coming out kind of soon. I gotta hit up the guys to see what's going on with that. But I don't know. Just things are moving at the pace they should be moving. We're not trying to like force anything. And it's not that we really do anything anyway. So it's about it. All right, thank you, CJ. Uh, much much appreciated. It was great talking to you. And uh, everybody, go check out CJ's label and his musical acts. Uh, I will be doing the same because I wasn't familiar prior to today and I'm excited to hear it. So thank you very much. And everybody out there in radio land, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on, CJ. And uh, thanks for everybody. Thanks for everybody for uh, listening. Appreciate it.